Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Job, chapter 1, verses 13 through 22, which can be found on page 402 in our pew Bibles or 785 in the large print pew Bibles. Job chapter 1, verses 13 through 22. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for the ways that you continue to reveal yourself to us. God, we pray that you would clear our minds from the distractions of the world, that you would fill us completely with who you are, that you would give us the perspective that we need, that we would see you above all, that we would find our meaning, our purpose, our identity securely in you, rather than trying to seek those things from anything less. Lord, we ask now that as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would speak to us that you would open our ears, that you would soften our hearts, that we would hear and understand and receive your word for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Job chapter 1, starting in verse 13. It says, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Turning then to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, should be found on page 787 in our Pew Bibles, or 1508 in the large print. The section right from the middle of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Matthew six nineteen through 24. Where Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Then our sermon text for this morning from the book of James, the first 12 verses of chapter 5, which will be found on page 979, our pew Bibles are 1884 in the large print. And I will tell you before I read this, that I actually asked, uh, I read it to my sons and I asked them, if they, were to be, if they were to preach this passage, how would they begin? And my middle son, Jonathan, he gave me permission to share this, recommended that the way that I preach this passage is just to read it and then say, okay, now you all think about that for a week. <laughs> and we'll talk about it next week. Which I have to say was appealing as a strategy there. But, uh, And I would encourage you to think about it this week, and we'll go ahead and talk about it today. But when you hear what it says, I think you'll understand why. This is James chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, where he says, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you, And eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rather than, put that, here it is, rather than just saying, now think about that for a week, and we'll get back to it next week, um, we're actually going to look at this, and we're going to look at it under three uh, heading words that all start with the letter W, so you can remember them, and they are weep, wait, and worship. We will go through each of those um, before we get there. Let me explain a little bit of this context. See, last week we talked about 
uh, boasting about tomorrow and how we don't know what's coming tomorrow. And I told you last week, actually, that uh, there would probably be things this past week that surprised you, that you had no idea were coming. And so if anybody made sure to kind of note those things, I hope you did, you probably noticed that there were things that happened this last week you did not see coming. I know I had more than I could count of things just out of the blue. And so we'd uh, said one of the things to do with that is as anyone then who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Because we can't put off the good things that God has put right before us because we don't know what's coming next. If he's put, us before, put it before us now, then now is the time uh, to do those things. And uh, then we transition into this section this way. Even though there are a lot of things that will catch us by surprise, that we don't see coming at all, there are some things that we do know are coming, even if we don't know when. And it would be foolish to live as though the things we know are coming aren't really coming. Does that make sense? One of the things that we know is coming is we know that Jesus is coming back, right? We know that. He tells us that. It's repeated throughout the New Testament. He's coming back. And as he came the first time to bear the judgment of our sin, he comes the next time as the judge. And when he comes back, he's coming back to put everything right. And therefore, anyone who has said, no, 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 I don't trust you to take my sin, or I don't believe I have any sin that needs to be dealt with, I'm just going to go along and make my way in this world. When he comes back, he will put everything right. And so we saw two groups of people here, by the way, those who are the rich people, and those who are the brothers and sisters. Look at that. Tim Keller, in an explanation of the gospel itself, the meaning of the gospel, which is a little two-page summary. I have extras if you'd like a copy. It's very good. I'll read you a section. In how the ways of God are very different than the ways of the world. And he says, Christ wins our salvation through losing. He achieves power through weakness and service and comes to wealth by giving all away. Those who receive his salvation are not the strong and accomplished, but those who admit that they are weak and lost. And this pattern creates an alternate kingdom or city in which there is a complete reversal of the values of the world with regard to power, recognition, status, and wealth. When we understand that we are saved by sheer grace through Christ, we stop seeking salvation in these things. The reversal of the cross, therefore, liberates us from bondage to the power of material things and worldly status in our lives. The gospel, therefore, creates a people with a whole alternate way of being human. Racial and class superiority, accrual of money and power at the expense of others, yearning for popularity and recognition, all these things are the marks of living in the world and are the opposite of the mindset of the kingdom. That is what I think James is getting at right here. That this world is fallen. And it's not just that it's fallen away from God. It's fallen where everything is backwards now. Where everything is upside down from the way that it's supposed to be. But Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, it's all going to be put right again. 
And this is why Jesus says things that sound so strange, like the first will be last and the last will be first. And we look around in the world and we say, no, 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 I think the first will be first and the last will be last. But he says, no, when I come back, everything is going to be put right side up again. And so those we look down on now and say, you are at the bottom because you are those who are taking first the things of the kingdom and taking last the things of the world. When the kingdom is put into place in its fullness, that will be first. And those who have been chasing after the things of the world will find out that those things burn up. This is where James says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Most of this letter, by the way, James is addressing two Christians, brothers and sisters. But here he doesn't say brothers and sisters. Here he says, you rich people. I think that's really addressing two groups of people. One are those who self-identify as rich people, who get their meaning and their identity from their wealth. And so when you say, all right, listen up, rich people, would say, yeah, yeah, that's me. I identify that way. But I think there's a second, more subtle group that it's talking about as well. And it's those who, when you say, all right, listen up, rich people, don't say, yeah, that's me, but who say in their heart of hearts, oh, I wish that were me. Who are still putting their hopes and their values on the things of this world. And what all money can buy. Money, by the way, is one of those that it gets talked about a lot in the Bible, and it's not because it's uh, a bad thing in and of itself, but because of how seductive it is in what all it promises to offer. Promises to, to give you everything you ever wanted. You can have power if you have money. You can have pleasure if you have money. You can have everything your heart desires. All you need to do is bow down and worship me, says money. We see the way of the world and the way actually even back then the people viewed the blessings of God in financial terms often. If God is pleased with how you're living, then he will give you great material wealth. And if not, then you'll be poor. And they would, you know, people look around at the poor people and say, well, they must not be living right. But if they were, then they'd be rich. However, we see consistently Jesus and those after him saying, you know, that's not the way it works. In fact, a lot of times it's those who are, uh, who are rich, who are seeing their identity in their wealth, who have gone the farthest off track and can do so blindly because of what all it offers and how much the world conspires to say that that's who has been blessed by God. One of the ways you can tell the issue here, though, is not just that they are seeking, you know, seeing their identity as rich people. So that's where their, their purpose, and their meaning, their identity comes from. So, yeah, I'm, I'm rich. That's who I am. If that's taken away, I have nothing left. But we also see the way that they are, have turned away from God and the way they are turned away from loving people. As you get these examples, you know, not just that you have, um, you've hoarded wealth in the last days, but you've failed, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. 
And so we have examples being given of ways in which people, these rich people, are trampling over people to get more money. When, <laughs> what is the right way? Well, we just kind of flip it around backwards. It's all backwards, right? And so as Christians, what we ought to be doing, really, is trampling over money and the things of this world to get to people, right? And we see Jesus doing this sort of thing. He's not accepting um, all the, the money of the world. He's not accepting all the praise of the world. He's not dealing with any of that. But he's going after the people. He's not even accepting uh, going after all the powerful people. If I could just get all of these religious leaders on my side, if I could get them to recognize who I am, no. In fact, he keeps going after the ones who have no power and the ones who have nothing to offer. And he goes after them, and it keeps making the religious leaders and those with power in the community reject him. But he doesn't need the things of this world. He doesn't need the approval of those of the world. And he'll trample on those things to get to the people who need the message. All right. Uh, This is, that was the first word of weep. If we are those who are caught up in this seduction of worldly wealth, understanding that everything will be turned around one day, let us go ahead and weep now. Give it up now. Give up that attachment to the things of the world and that grabbing after everything you can. Give that up now. Weep now. Grieve the loss of those things now. So you won't have to later. Jesus gives, or James gives two different descriptions. The first was you rich people. The second, though, is brothers and sisters. This is the title you want. You don't want to be known as rich people. You want to be known as brothers and sisters, whatever your bank account says. You want to be known, first and foremost, as those who are brothers and sisters in Christ because we have been adopted into the family of God at great expense, at great cost to him because of his great love for us. And so then he says to these brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, be patient then until the Lord's coming. He is coming back. And even though right now you may have you know, turned away and rejected the things of the world and you're finding your identity and purpose in God and you might start thinking, yeah, but things are hard. And it seems like everybody else is doing so well in this world. And I'm kind of thinking maybe I'll just give it all up and I'll go after the things of the world too. And James says, no, no, no. Hold on. You know he's coming back. You know that everything is going to be put right again. So be patient. Stand firm. The Lord's coming is near. Think about this as an example. If you're in a, uh, if you're in a middle school uh, classroom and the teacher says to the students, I have to step out for a minute. I've got to run down to the office and check on something. But here's what I want you all to do while I'm gone. Go ahead and read chapter 3. I will be right back. Leave the classroom. The door closes. What happens? Yeah, you guys may be getting a little older. You don't remember back in middle school. Some of these guys, they know how it goes. The, the, the teacher leaves. And here's what will what, here's happen. 
the majority of the students, probably, as soon as the door closes, like jump out of their seats, it's party time. <laughs> and we're going to live it up, and we're going to do whatever it is that we want to do and what we feel like doing, and there's nobody who can tell us otherwise. And so you can have all kinds of bullying that goes on. You can have all kinds of <laughs> reckless behavior and vandalism, to property, or whatever else. But then you also have a few students who are like, but we were told we're supposed to be reading. <laughs> and I'm having a hard time reading. And in fact, what you're doing looks like a lot more fun. Maybe I should just join that. But at the same time, you know that the teacher's going to come back. And when the teacher comes back, they're going to put it right again. <laughs> and those who have been reading, have been doing what they're supposed to do, well done, good and faithful servant. Those who have not, not only will they have to then begin the assignment, but will have to kind of pay back for what they've been doing up until then. Here's the thing, and here's the important part. In those two groups of students, which group is hoping the teacher comes back soonest? It's the one who's doing what the teacher told them to do. They're saying, oh my goodness, if they would come back soon, put all this mess down, we could get back to doing what we're supposed to be doing. The students who are living it up on their own, who are having, uh, having a wild time, maybe even at the expense of their classmates, they're saying, I hope she never comes back. I want it to just go on like this. James is saying, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And for those who have rejected him and who have gone after the things of the world, they will say, I hope it's not for a long time, or maybe not at all. And I want it to just go on like this, where I can continue trampling on other people so I can get what I want. And James says, he's coming back, whether you want him to or not. And if you don't want him to and he shows up, you're going to weep and you're going to wail because you had an opportunity to live your life with him, to let him take the judgment on your sin, and you didn't. You wanted it on your own, and now you've got it on your own. But then he also says to those who have rejected the things of the world, who said, I'm not going to find my identity in those things. I'm going to find my identity in Jesus. He's the one that I want to live life with. He's the one that I want to uh, trust in and hope in fully. That's where I find my meaning. That's where I find my purpose, no matter what else I have in this world. He says to those people, hold on, because Jesus is coming back. And when he does, we will have great rejoicing and shouts of praise and hallelujah, the king is finally here. And we can be with him in a new way and he will set up his kingdom in all its fullness where everything gets set right again. And so, that was weep, that was wait, and the second is worship. Brothers and sisters, an example of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance. Seen with the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And here again, we just have that same example of the difference in the kingdom versus the difference, the kingdom of God versus the kingdoms of the world. You remember, uh, it says, you know, look at the prophets. Think about King Ahab, who had everything the world had to offer at that time. He had the power. He was the king over the kingdom. He had the, the wealth. He could do whatever he wanted. 
And then we look at Elijah, the prophet, who comes in to speak to the king and tell him, you are off track. And what happens to him? Elijah, ends up, he's got nothing. He's running for his life. He feels like he's the only one in the whole world who is still following God. And yet as we read the stories, we keep shaking our head every time Ahab does anything. We're like, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And every time we look at, no matter what the rest of the world is saying about him at the time, you know, we read it and say, no, that's not it. And we read about Elijah and what all he's doing in the midst of it. And he'll start getting really depressed and downcast. And, and we say, no, no, no. Keep going. You're the one who's doing right. In the middle of all of it, you're the one who's got it. Keep going, no matter what the rest of the world says. So that's what James reminds us. This is how it's been. This is how it's been for thousands of years. So take that as an example. And you see, uh, see how it turns out. We read about Job, and he says, you, know, you see what happens there. We read the beginning of the story, and we saw how bad things went for him, how he lost everything. And his response was not, I've lost everything that's really important to me, and therefore I am nothing. He says instead, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In other words, God is still God, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. And what we see at the end of the book of Job, which we didn't read, but if you skip ahead all the way to the end, we see that God at the end gives him twice as much as he had before. And that's what James is pointing out, is saying, look, if you hold on, better things are coming if you trust in God, find your identity in him. Better things are coming there than you could ever hope to get from the world because the Lord is full of compassion full of mercy. This is not, by the way, promising if you follow God now, he'll you know, make your retirement account grow exponentially. That's not it. But he's saying, your retirement account in the kingdom of heaven, that's a whole different matter. And that will blow away anything that this world has to offer. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And for this reason, in every situation, whether we have plenty or whether we have nothing, when we have God, when we are living lives of worship, lives with him in everything, we have everything we need. It is a very different way of living from the rest of the world. He gets into that uh, last little line there we didn't touch on so much, but just don't swear. Is that really a big deal? Above all, don't swear. But all this is saying is live your life with God completely, fully, honestly, to where there's no distinction between the times where you say, oh, this is the case, and then, oh, no, I swear this is the case, as though sometimes you're honest, sometimes you're not. He says, no, no, no. You should be completely honest all the time in everything because you're living life in the values of the kingdom of God. Because God is truthful, we are truthful. Uh, because God is our provider, we don't have to worry. We look at the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, this whole book is really kind of a commentary on all the teachings of Jesus. Put that aside. When Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, get back to it, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do you remember why he says not to do that? 
He gives the reasons of how uh, those things get destroyed. Uh, things in heaven do not get destroyed. But then he gives the real reason. And he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's the challenge that I really want us to think about this week. Where is our treasure? Where is our heart? Are we those who either identify as rich people because we find our identity in the things of this world, or are we those who wish that we were, could be called rich people because we find our identity in the things of this world? Or are we those who wish to be called brothers and sisters? Those who find our identity in who God is, the love that he has for us, that he has shown for us in Jesus Christ, that he would be our treasure above all else. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.